Have you ever wondered who even is on the Mocaric team? Have you wondered what we think about work? Have you wondered, I wonder what they talk about when the doors are closed or when Mo's on sabbatical? Well, this is the one. This is the episode. And I'm excited for you to hear this episode because sometimes I think our team can kind of fade into the background and we're all kind of cool. (laughs) So I'm excited for you to hear the three of us talk, Jess, Cam, and me, May, and just to hear what, um, what it sounds like to have three millennials and a cusper of Gen Z talk about what we think work is, what career is, and among many other things. Again, thanks for being here. Rate and review us. We love to hear it. In a world where workplaces are sometimes toxic for people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Let's Make Work Human, we discuss how organizations can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author, and I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, May Rats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, partnering while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We're on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Hello, we got a special episode today. Mo's very cool about having all her guests on. She's like very calm and collected. I am less calm and far less collected. Today, we're going to have two special guests. One is named Jess. One is named Cam. You might have heard their names before or gotten emails from them. They make up the rest of the Mo Carrick team. And well, that's not true. There's a lot of other little bits and pieces of the Mo Carrick team, but we together are the core of the Mo Carrick team. And I can't wait to introduce them to you. I can't wait for you to meet them. I can't wait for them to say their piece. We're going to talk about work. Um, we're going to talk about how we feel inside of the generations that we're in. We're going to talk about a lot of other stuff. Hopefully there's some juicy bits, maybe gossip. I'm not going to promise anything, but we'll see where we go from here. Here's where, how we start. These are the questions that I would love for you all to use as your intros. Pick and choose however, whichever ones feel right for you. But if you could answer the first one, that would be important. So the first one is, what generation are you? What do you love? Where do you spend most of your time? Who do you call when you want to celebrate something big? And one thing you've been thinking about this week. So whichever ones of those you can remember, go forth. Kim, you go first. Gladly. I am somewhere between millennial and Gen Z, right at the very end of millennial very old Gen Z, something like that. Generations aren't clear to me. Um, I love many things. That's a very broad question. I love ice cream. I love walking in the forest. I love my family. I love that I'm gifted to be alive here on this earth, what I've been feeling today after a funny, hilarious day that I've had. Um, I also love where I live, which is where I spend most of my time, which is a small town called Cumberland, 
uh, in British Columbia on Vancouver Island. It's a very nice place. There's a very nice forest right next to my house. I spend a lot of time in my office, which is where I am sitting now. <laughs> when I want to celebrate big news, me and my family is often the first people I call, including my mother and father and siblings. And there's a couple friends that make the short list as well. And one thing that's been on my mind this week, this week has been one of those weeks where there's no steady theme. Um, except I think with the fall transition, I've been doing a lot of reorganizing and I'm finding a great deal of relief in externalizing all of the things on my mind, putting them onto the paper in the world so I don't have to keep them in my head, which is just lovely. That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. On to hey. you, Jess. <laughs> um, I am a millennial. I had to Google it, I will admit. I wasn't quite sure what I was. Um, I love my girls, and I love my partner and all my people. I love going on walks. I love happy people. Nothing makes my day more sunshiny when I'm rampaging through the grocery store and someone's friendly and kind to you. Makes me extra happy. Um, and I love butterflies. I spend most of my time here at home or outside doing something with my family. The people I call to celebrate things are one of my two best friends, Brittany or Shelby, or my mom. And one thing I've been thinking about this week is transitioning my youngest to her own bed, which makes me nervous to even say out loud. So. Oh, no. Uh. Oh, it's hard. And that, I mean, if Mo was here, she would say that all change starts with grief. So good job. Good job. Okay. Well, so there's a couple spoilers in there that we'll get to, but they might also just get answered in this question right now. One of them is, well, the first question is, how did you both get here? Because here's what happened from my vantage point is I got pregnant and I was the only one that worked here, y'all. Well, that's not true. Liz was here, but I was mostly the only one that worked here. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen when I get back from maternity leave. And when I got back from maternity leave, the world shut down because it was March of 2020. And also Cameron worked here like in a big way. And then in a hot minute later, we hired Jess. So how did y'all get here? Because we kind of just hit the ground running. I don't know. I don't know my life without you is essentially what I'm saying. So Cameron, how did you get here? Well, this is when the big secret comes out for anyone who doesn't already know, which is that I am Mo's son. <gasps> how I got here is sort of a long story. I guess I've known Mo for my entire life, obviously, since before I was even alive consciously. And... Professionally, I started working with her as she was writing both of her books as a editor and sort of guide and consultant um, in various ways with her thinking and with her words. And then when I started working full time, it was sort of, yeah, like late 2019, I just graduated university and I was kind of aimless and Mo needed a bit of help, you know, with May going away. And so I just jumped in sort of temporarily. And then as I kept digging deeper and deeper, there was more and more ways for me to contribute. And... Yeah, I sort of weaseled my way into a into a lovely, fulfilling role doing all sorts of different things, and I'm very grateful to be here. Weaseled is kind of a strange word choice for what happened, which is <laughs> that he has made himself. I told him that I am also leaving if he leaves. Essentially, that's what happened. Like Cameron can't leave, so there we are. That's weaseled. Been great. Jess, how did you get here? Um, I 
was kind of working a pointless job that I hated. And a friend of mine that worked with Mo um, sent me the job posting. And it sounded like a scam at first. Um, <laughs> if it wasn't for a well-trusted source, I would have not believed this job was real. And then I basically studied. I looked up the website. I studied all the content on it. I read Brave Space Workplaces. I read somewhere along the line that Mo loved the color yellow. And so I wore oh, yellow God. during my interview with her. <laughs> And um, yeah, I just busted yeah. my bet to try to get here. And now I'm obsessed with all three of you and never want to leave. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, one one bit about that is that Cameron wrote that job posting, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm assuming I Cameron did. He writes everything. <laughs> Cameron's looking like he can't remember right now, but I think so. Well, like most things, I think it was a collaborative effort. Yeah, yeah, sure. Totally. That's so funny. I didn't even, I don't, did you wear yellow when Cameron and I inter- met you? I don't think so. We should all put our favorite colors on the website. Maybe that's a good idea. That is a great story. That's really funny. Well, I'm so <laughs> proud of you were here. This is like the best. One thing I'm really struck by is that all three of us had very different jobs before we got here. Um, Jess, you mentioned that you didn't really love your job before you got here. I mm-hmm. also had a pretty toxic job before I got here um, with some pretty intense it left me with some pretty intense emotional shrapnel about the work world, um, which I can to you. But Kim, you had kind of a wild job before you got to us. Will you explain a little bit of what you used to do? Well, I'd say this was, this was probably my first real job. That's so have, right this minute? My first career, I'd say, was a, I had a short tenure as a tree planter, which is a very common job here in British Columbia which is basically, in, when I say tree planter, you think like gardening, but it's industrial <laughs> reforestation, um, planting trees in the in the deep woods all over British Columbia. In three years, I planted over 400, almost 400,000 trees and working three to four month seasons. So it's a high volume of, of planting. To say the least, 400,000 trees. That's, a, that's the actual number you just said. I okay. can look up the actual number. That's wild. Y'all, tiny, tiny trees in a bag, walking very quickly, tiny shovel, getting stuck into the ground. I've made Cameron graph this out for me many times, but this is seems wild to me. Any of you other tree planters out there, I'm sorry, I don't understand your work. How'd your back feel after that? (laughs) Great. (laughs) I was thinking about bending over constantly and digging holes. It makes my back hurt thinking about it. I love that. Okay, well, Cam, since you outed yourself about this family business situation. Will you answer a couple questions about it? I'd love to. Okay. So is this job what you thought it was going to be? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Because I, I thought if you go back far enough, I thought this job was going to be like a one to one month to six week long contract doing like paper pushing to help my mom organize some stuff. Well. Um, and then it's quickly become a lot more than that. <laughs> Yeah. Which is uh, part of what's been so fun and what I so appreciate about working here is the opportunity to sort of negotiate my job description is on the one hand, it's, it's, it can be very distressing because sometimes there's not much clarity, but on the other hand, it's very fulfilling and rewarding because it's, I really have an opportunity here at this company to, to add value where I can. Um, and I really feel empowered to do that. I love that. Will you graph out for me? I have the, the question that's in my head is like essentially 
Did you think that working here as an adult was something that you wanted to do when you were a kid? The question is actually that I've written to you is, is your mom mom boss or is she boss mom? Like, are you, how, what is it like in your head to work for your mom? Yeah, well, sometimes I jokingly, like the other day I was in the kitchen with some friends and family and I got a call from, from Mo and I said, oh, this is my moss. I got to go take the call. <laughs> um, and so it's definitely like a medley of both. I mean, as a kid, no, I never, I never thought I'd work here. It was maybe as a teenager, I kind of, I knew that there was maybe possibility, uh, but it was never something really on my mind. And to be frank, when I started working on her books, I was surprised at how enticed I was by the work and the mm. sort of topic. And so that's maybe when I started thinking like, oh, maybe there's some kind of adjacency between my life path and, and the path that my mom's been walking for so long. But yeah, today the mom boss thing, it's it's two sides of the same coin. And one, I can flip, we can, one of the things that's great about it is we do set pretty strong boundaries. So if I call my mom on a Saturday, I'd be like, hey, mom, this is, I just want to talk mom style. Mom uh, style. Yeah. Or she might call me and say, hey, I've got a quick work question that I want to just catch up. So there's kind of this constant negotiation of the boundary. Yeah. And it keeps working. Have you had yeah, some It keeps rumbles? working. We, we have rumbles now and then. Boundaries okay. are violated now and then. On both ends. On both ends, for sure. <laughs> I can imagine it's very difficult. I mean, one of the things that I love most about Mo is that she knows a lot about me. Um, I feel very known and seen in this role and in this job. It's made me highly unhirable for the rest of the world um, because I have a great boss who I also count as one of my closest friends. So I can imagine when your boss is also um, blood related to you and you're an adult parent or you're an adult child, I can imagine that it gets kind of messy sometimes. I'm always really proud of both of you and your boundaries. What is harder about this job than you had first anticipated when you joined the family business? Well, first, I appreciate the praise that the year you admire us and proud of us thank you for that um one of the things that keeps me here is that what's hardest is often the stuff that's most interesting to think about yeah Yeah, which is cool and what that is 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 yeah it's the human relationship it's the it's the creativity of the job description like these things are really hard sometimes (laughs) yeah and it makes it it makes it a lot different (laughs) than than just going to work they could you know check clocking in and clocking out so I'd say that that has definitely become more has more effort than maybe I initially thought. And the other one that I struggle with is is the remoteness of the job. Mm-hmm. And isolation can be hard. And so that's something that I'm still learning how to navigate. And there's been some recent changes in my life, like just moving quite a bit in the last year that have sort of made that even more challenging. Yeah. So not necessarily as much um, family business hard, but work in general hard. No, in a way, I love the family side of it. I mean. Again, for the outside non-work context, I just moved four doors down from my partner's parents. It's the best. Um, and I, I just feel so lucky to have family in my life that I that I tolerate and that they tolerate me and we're close. Um, and it's I feel really grateful and blessed that that's something that I have nurtured in my life intentionally. I love that. I was just listening to this. Um, I'm trying desperately in my brain to remember what his name is, but he's a father and he's writing a book with his son and he's a therapist, I think, and a scientist and a researcher and all, all of the many things. And so is his son. And they have these workshops about how to um, bridge like familial connections with your adult children and parents. And one of the things that the son brings up in this workshop that they are talking through is that there's this power imbalance 
from the very beginning that an adult child and a parent have to figure out because that kid didn't know you in the very beginning. You know, like there's years and years and years and years of your life where you are just dependent on that parent and the parent knows you intimately, you know, and that that power imbalance can then like shift into adulthood if it's not addressed or figured out or whatever. Anyways, this has gone farther than I wanted it to. But all I was going to say is that it's very interesting to me to watch like that we talk often about the power imbalances in work and that that might play out for you that there we have a boss and you work for the boss and also your parent is your boss. And how interesting those intersections inside that Venn diagram are actually of like, you have met, this person has known you in many facets of your life. And now you are re-meeting each other as people that depend on each other in the work world. Um, Just really interesting. Do you see that, that you need to push harder on Mo in certain ways because of the relationship that you have as a, as a kid and as a parent? Or do you find you know each other better because of that? I'm not sure what you mean by push harder, but I can definitely speak to the... It's it's not a simple relationship. And that's... And I love that. It, for me, the, the complicatedness of, of the constant negotiation... Like when I... Sometimes when I'm really in it and like Mo's just called me on a Sunday morning and I'm like, don't want to talk about work. But I thought <laughs> she talked about mom stuff and then she starts bombarding me with work stuff and it really sucks. Sometimes in those moments, it, it, it does... It's not very fun and I... And I I begrudge it or I complain. But then when I go to the high, high level of like looking at my life, I feel so blessed. And it's just so wonderful to have such a rich relationship that's in constant renegotiation. And, you know, my mom's a very, as a kid, she was my mom and she worked. Mm-hmm. And as that work took it away from being my mom. And so now we're getting to sort of explore her work with her and be seen, shown this world. It's very rewarding. That's awesome. I'm pushing, I'm pushing hard on this, y'all. Just, I want to be clear because... There's a lot of family businesses that we work with, and I don't think it gets talked about very often, like what it is like. There's a lot out there about what it's like to work with your family from the top down. There's not a lot out there to work that's talked about about like what it's like to be the employee. Um, so I'm glad to have our voices inside that conversation. And especially in remote work, it's a special sort of what a burger sauce. <laughs> it's like pretty wildness. Uh, thank you, Cam. I like appreciate having you dive in there's anything else before we move yeah i'd like to touch on that remote piece because i i haven't fully explored this thought because i live so far from my mother but i do think that there's some there's something about the remoteness that that sustains Mm. the work a little bit like if if my mom lived four doors down like my partner's mom and we work together i think it would be a lot harder to manage those boundaries yeah um but because we're remote there's already sort of a conversation about like when can i call yeah. And will that call be this or that kind of context? And so it's a bit, I find it much easier to manage some of those boundaries as as part of it being a remote job. I think it, it would be, mm-hmm. there would be different and harder challenges if we were much closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She could just show up. Mm-hmm. She tried to just show up and then COVID swooped in and made sure she didn't do that, which is such a bummer because I was excited to see you both together. It'll happen. Well, off we go. Let's talk about Let's talk about work, y'all. So Mo has a structure. We have a structure. We talk about a lot about the seven needs of work. So why do y'all work? In this stage of your life, why are you working? I'll go first. I work because I am the main breadwinner of my family. So I need cash dollars um, to pay my bills. And also the thing lately is because I really feel like I'm contributing to the world. I feel like our work matters. I've seen our work matter. Um, I'm driven highly 
by making a difference in the world, that's part of it. When I find something else that I think can like really make a bigger difference in the world, then maybe it'll be a different conversation. But right now, this is the largest impact that I've ever made on the world is having this job. You go, Jess. Why do you work here? A lot of reasons. Um, I work here because it was the fantasy job that I didn't think was real. And like you said, it's uh, the what we do here has so much meaning behind it. So even all the little pieces and the cracks that I fill in the background, I know contribute to the bigger picture. And I love that. And I love that I'm not just doing a job for a job. I also feel like I come to this job because of you guys. I love the dynamic between the four of us and the conversations we all have and how much you guys make me laugh and how fluffy you make me. Yeah. Um, The work-life balance. I don't think I've ever had a job where my boss was like, oh, yeah, you can can take care of your baby while we're in a meeting. Like, Mm most so awesome for that. And I don't think there's many jobs out there that – your boss cares about you and doesn't mind like that. Mm, I love that. Cam, why are you working this season of your life? Yeah, a big one for me is also to meet my needs uh, mm. financially. This job pays pretty well. It pays enough for me to support uh, my partner's uh, you know, career endeavors and my family, um, which is a big component at my current stage of life. I think another one is to learn this job is very, my, my role at this job is very um, in line with my intellectual pursuits. I studied literature and the influence that written language has on people's behavior. And a big part of my role is in marketing. So there's kind of direct, mm-hmm. there's kind of a direct thing there that sort of just gets me going day to day in terms of what, what I get to study and practice. Um, so that's a big one. I think another one is to make my life work in terms of logistics, like being able to work totally forever and having our culture here is very um, flexible. We kind of just get the work done when it needs to get done. There's not a, there's not a high level of, you know, need to be in an office from nine to five or whatever, which is really valuable to me and really enables me to do good work and to live a good life. So I say those are probably the big three. There's some other great benefits. Like when I hear about the impact of our work, it really makes the whole thing feel worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. feels good to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. In this, it's very interesting, actually, because all three of us are, we see each other probably almost every day on Zoom, right? For some reason or another, or we definitely talk all every day, but we all have very different roles, which just came up just now. And that the things that we appreciate and the things that we come to this job for are all very different and very specific to our role. (laughs) Uh, I think we're all doing the same things in terms of like learning as quickly as we possibly can to get stuff going. You know, like oftentimes people will come to me and ask me for things from my team and I can hear in their voice that they think our team is like 35 people in an office building. And I'm like, whoa, y'all, there's three of us for like (laughs) one of which is Mo. hold the horses, you know? So I think we do a great job learning and like pushing as fast as we can, but it is very interesting. Like just to hear what you appreciate. It's great. Yeah. But also very role specific. Go us for finding good fit at this moment in our lives. Um, Okay. So track yourself back to little self, to your little self, and just like play out for me a little bit about what messages you got about work, who taught them to you. If you can like trace it to that very specific, or just like, did you take it in like a little plant? I don't know. She just take it in like a little bit of water. What'd you hear about? What'd you hear about work? What'd you figure about work? What'd you think was true? 
you know, I was, you sent us these questions to prepare and I was reading through them and I read this and I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> like I remember my mom, you know, she worked from home quite a lot. My dad also worked from home for a period. I learned different things from my, different parents too. Like my dad sort of, and this was an explicit teaching. He, he told me a few times, like, you know, a job is a job. You don't have to love it, which is complete opposite to what a lot of what my mom says about work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful to have gotten two different perspectives and to be able to sort of pick and choose different things. Because sometimes work, and my mom says this too, sometimes work is hard. Sometimes you got to just get the work done totally. and get through it. And on the other hand, there's a lot more that work can do in our lives. And so I think that like, I've, I was given a nice blend of sort of realism about work being work and work being about money and in exchange for contribution to society. And on the other hand, a bit more of an idealistic vision for the the great richness that can come from having meaningful work and from having a place to be seen and, and to contribute. Great answer. Do you attach your worth to your work? Sometimes. I'd say by, by and large, it's a small, it's a smaller part of my identity than some people I know. Um, and sometimes it stings to get <laughs> critical feedback or something, which means there's some part of me is attached to. Um, <laughs> I'm not totally detached from this work. Yeah. No. Yeah. Are you talking about me? No. Okay, good. Whew, good. Well, we can have that rumble here if you want to. I'm open to that. But. <laughs> no, I'd say that on the team, like when I get feedback from the team, it's very clear that it's feedback about the work itself. Sometimes when I get feedback from customers or clients, I take it as it's, it's something's wrong with me or like it's more it's more close to my identity and it hurts worse. Do I hear that? Me too. Yeah, something I'm working on. Jess, what do you think about work? When I was a kid, it was just my mom and my brother and I. So my mom was just constantly hustling and trying to keep her head above water and survive. So I guess that's kind of what I viewed work as for the longest time was it's just survival it's how you pay the bills it's how you get to the next day it's how you put food on the table and for a while that's what it was for me too was hustling and doing what I could to take care of my family and and this is probably the this is the first job I've ever had where it wasn't just a means of survival like I'm actually interested in what we do and I actually enjoy helping and doing the things that I do. So survival when I was a kid. Whoa, that's kind of an intense message to get. Like you must do it and everybody else's survival depends on it too. Yeah, for sure. My mom made it look so easy and graceful. She always kept her cool and her head was on her shoulders straight. And But it's definitely not as easy as she made it look. Yeah, isn't that a wild message? Both Jess and I, just for a little outside context, are um, both moms to young kids. I think that's a message that I received too. And I think a lot of people receive is that it has to be easy, you know, or that it has to be made to look easy, Mm -hmm. especially by moms, you know, because there's like so much happening and there's like this perfect mother myth of what it looks like to be a perfect mom and keep it all together, especially if you're going to be, you know, working for money. What do you think about that? Just about like how it was made to look very easy for your mom. Oh God, not easy at all. Which my mom did what she thought was right and and good on her. But I think it's crap to make it look easy. I think that we need to be real and, and tell our kids that, oh, I'm having a hard day or I have to do A, B, and C to make D. And, and I think that that's okay to explain to our kids, obviously within certain boundaries. But 
I don't think you should fake it and make it seem like it's all just sunshine and rainbows. Like, that's not the real world. And we have to give our kids tools and realism to understand what they're going to be up against one day, too. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody's moms faked it. <laughs> you know, like maybe they did a little for sure. But I think that they also were propped up against an impossible task. You know, oh, so yeah. Let's burn that to the ground, that myth. But Hey there. Leading people should not suck the life out of you. If you're listening to my podcast and you're a leader of people or you have people leaders working for you in your organization at any level, you know that it can be challenging to activate the talents of your team for success without having to be a superhero. I think the Leading People program might be just right for you or some of your people leaders. Enrollment is open right now and the doors close October 6th. It's a three-month peer-intensive cohort program that is my signature program. I leave everyone with a 12-month people and culture roadmap and we focus on the application of specific strategies to bring out the best in your people without having to be a superhero yourself check it out and join me. There is an application required that takes about 10 minutes and we do a short interview. This way I hand curate every attendee in our small group process so that you can get the most out of your time with us. I'd love to see you there. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. I, as a kid, Oh, go ahead, Jess. I think I think it's just like back then it was maybe for still for some people, it's just like, not making your kids fearful and like making them think everything is okay, even when it's sometimes not. And so I think a little bit of both is the right way. Well, and I think, I mean, there's the conversation around whether work is suffering, you know, right. it being hard some days, I don't think is the same as suffering, right? And like being honest about how hard it is. Yeah. A struggle, a struggle, a struggle, a struggle. That, that's also so real too. I mean, we're talking, we're talking from a job that meets our financial and life needs right now. So right. I'm the privilege that we're sitting in having this conversation but that yeah I as a kid my dad was the executive director of the National Alter Leadership School and um, probably a self-described workaholic um, he died when I was 15 so I don't I haven't gotten to have any of these adult conversations with him which um, sometimes I'm just um, hungry to you know to have the conversations of what it's like to look back on your career in that way but he mess the message I got from him very clearly was that you are your work, that we can make big a big difference in our work, and we must throw ourselves into it. Um, I've had to kind of unwind some of that messaging a little bit. Sorry, Dad, if you like can hear this, but that's what I got. From my mom, I learned to do what you want, to do things that make you feel very enlivened and things that sit alongside your values. Um, my mom gave up a very lucrative and successful career in investment banking to go work for the National Outdoor Leadership School for like $7 an hour because she liked it there, you know, and she coached swimming later on in her career for no dollars pretty much for the amount of work that it cost. And I just watched her work and work and work and work at something because she really loved it, you know, so I got a little bit of and both similar to you, Cameron, of like getting both messages. I've had to unwind some of those things moving into my own career, but it is interesting what you learn from work by not actually going to work with your family, but just watching them work. Uh, It sounds like all of us have gotten some interesting salad on that one. Do you see any Kool-Aid that you've been sold about work that is now BS that you want to call out? Yeah. (laughs) Go, go, Jess, go. 
I used to always hear at all kinds of jobs, leave your personal life at the door, which now working here, I know that that's a bunch of BS for sure. And and as being a squishy, sensitive human, it was always really hard for me. Because when you're having a hard day, you can't just like smile and take it. Or I couldn't anyway. So I think that was Kool-Aid that was BS. Yeah, I think that's still getting sold. Oh, yeah. I know. It's terrible. (sighs) Cameron, got any Kool-Aid? Well, it's going to be controversial around these parts. But I think that some of the Kool-Aid that I'm grateful I don't drink... (laughs) to the analogy <laughs> is the Kool-Aid around around work being significant to defining who I am as a person and I don't think that I don't think that distance discredits the, the value of appreciating the contributions that come out of my work and helping to build something and contribute is super meaningful and those contributions don't determine my value as a human or anything like that. And so I, I feel grateful to have a, a degree of distance. I think part of that comes from my dad that I was just saying, where he sort of taught that like work is work and you do it because it's what people do in our world, in our culture. And and, it, and that's kind of where my dad's messaging end and where I picked up from my mom left about work is really meaningful. Yeah. You know, even if it's something that's somewhat separate from me, it's something that's meaningful and worthwhile. So. And both. And both. And how. Yeah, well, I mean, that is an interesting thing. And I think that a lot of people, I'm just going to say this, and people can come for me if they want. People will think that that is generational, Cameron. I hear you that you got some of it from your dad, but I think a lot of people are blaming that on millennials and Gen Zers, that we are making sure that work is not our measure of our worth. And we are making sure that our work is not our full identity um, because we're not seeing work pay off in massive strides for the generations ahead of us. What do y'all think about that? Is this a generation thing or a personal thing? Yeah, I think it's a it's certainly a generational pattern, uh, but I would say it's less about not seeing the payoffs and more about seeing the consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as the boomers are growing, have grown up and are approaching you know, an older age, there's lots of problems that are related from chronic overworking, like heart disease and obesity and chronic stress disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Yeah, there's a sort of generational learning that like, well, that's not how I want to live my life. Yeah. This is something I've, I've been thinking about lately, actually, with with value. And it relates to me, which again, I think this is another generational difference, is the, the prevalence of climate change in my life. Mm-hmm. Being born in the 90s, like this is just something that's ever present and it weighs on me and I have a lot of fear. And I think about it with this work thing. And the one conclusion that keeps recurring in my mind is like, we've got to find a different way to live is less resource intensive. Because if our lifestyles require this massive amount of resources, whether it's flying or traveling or consuming, buying things, we're going to have to work really hard to earn enough money to do it because that stuff's really expensive on sort of a global time span, monetarily and environmentally. So this is something I think about is how can I downsize my my needs and up and upscale my level of gratitude and appreciation for what I have so that I can live in better harmony for the long term and not have to work so hard to earn so much to live mm-hmm. this crazy life. Mm-hmm. So sort of this, somehow this all pieces together in my mind. I really appreciated going to Cameron Church about that just now. Thank you. I agree <laughs> with you. Totally. It has to, to do so requires for me to unlearn a lot of how I was raised. Like, I just watched the documentary about Woodstock 1999. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which, yeah, there's, there was a Woodstock in 1999 in New York. Hundreds of thousands of people went to this music concert, and all the big bands were like 
these hard rock bands from the 90s and it was a total shit show and total disaster but watching that documentary <laughs> and comparing it to the original Woodstock is just such an interesting generational difference and I think it for me it epitomizes like what I grew up learning like I grew up eating gogurts and frozen meals and shopping at Old Navy and the Gap <laughs> like something about the American vision of what life looks like as far as what I wear and what I own it really serves corporations and, and greed and really damages the planet and people. Yeah. I'm constantly inspired by, I, I was fortunate enough to, to live in rural West Africa for some period in, in Senegal and the way it was done there, the culture around, it was just so different. Like people wore their clothes until they were threadbare and fell off their shoulders and they went and bought secondhand stuff to replace it. And I'm not trying to glorify this, but the poverty that exists there, but at the same time, there's, this strange expectations in the business world of, of, of certain types of propriety. And um, anyhow, I'm rambling at this point, but I'm into it. Yeah. I'm, I'm into, into it. it too. I also hear you like to circle back to how you entered this um, rabbit Holy spirit, which I'm into that. The generational difference is just the amount of like the impact of climate change on this generation that you are now living directly in compared to watching the older generations what was important for that generation. Yeah. I mean, it, it scares me at three in the morning to think about like, I think that's why contribution is such a big need for me right now is because I feel like we, I'm also with you. Like we're not making a difference in what are we doing? Why am I doing this? You know? Um, And that that's different than what you were just expressing, but that is how I calm my anxiety about that is because there's only so much time and what am I doing with it? And is it actually helping or hurting? So yes, it's a generational thing. And also no. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. It's like it a collect caring. Yeah, it's like circumstantial. Yeah, because we're not saying that boomers don't care. We're right. just No, and I've talked a lot about family already, but I think I really value having a, a very intergenerational life, hang out with a lot of old people, older friends and kids coming around. And because there was some connection here with climate change, but it's important to like... <laughs> To recognize that, yeah, sure, maybe climate change is a bigger factor in my life. But if I can be more involved with boomers and even the older generation, I don't know what you call that generation before the boomers. The greatest generation. That's very conceited. They called themselves. That. <laughs> <laughs> they're called that because they came out of the war. The greatest generation because they survived some big stuff. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. That's what the internet tells me. Go ahead. <laughs> I think this whole generation thing is funny because kids are always being born. It's not like there's kids for 10 years and then we have no kids for 10 years and then you have the next batch. It's like they're just always having kids. When you get a cusper, this is what happens. This is camera. I'm the middle child. I don't know if I'm Gen Z or Gen whatever, millennial. I'm I'm a cusper, my my sun signs, whatever they're called. (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. This is so great. This is exactly what I was hoping this would turn into. Okay, well, Cameron. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here, but like, I think this actually fits right in here in this conversation is you came to a meeting with me. I think it was just you and me. I don't know if you were there, Jess, or not, but if you weren't there, even better, because we're going to hear the story, but hopefully. But Cameron, will you tell the story about when you went to that meeting and there was a baby that started crying and what happened? Because I think oh, that is I wasn't like, there. that's how I feel at work with you two and with Mo, that like all of this story that hopefully Cameron will tell bleeds into the Kool-Aid that I think you are sold, Jess, that we have to separate these things. And that actually that's what is going to hurt us the most. 
Um, and I think about the story that you told me, you told us, Kim, and it like makes me weepy on um, a weekly basis. So go. Yeah, it made me weepy when it happened. It's a very, it's a very touching story. And there's, there's more that I learned from this one, this one uh, occasion. But I'll, I'll, I'll limit it to this bit. So it was, a, it was a storytelling circle uh, taught by. I should, I'll have to look up his name and put it in the notes. Um, but you know, we were kind of gathering getting to know each other in this little circle kind of getting ready for the him to for the for the leader to start telling these stories um and then this young woman with a young baby and the baby starts just wailing and the woman sort of starts apologizing like, oh sorry she gets up to take the baby out and the facilitator's like wait like he really yelled it and it was like kind of like well this guy's yelling at this woman now <laughs> um but then he says don't take the baby. We can't have a society where people take the babies because that's our future. We need them around. And then he had everyone stop and we all started dancing together uh, with this woman because she kind of was dancing to see the baby and the baby was obviously needing some kind of attention or whatever. So we just spent about two minutes like dancing as a whole group until the baby and the baby stopped crying because the, <sighs> the woman was able to, you know, soothe the baby just with us and taking two minutes to pause and calm the baby. Once he'd phrased it in the light of like, this baby is our future. Don't let him go don't like keep him around you know it all made sense so that's isn't the that the best i think that's the best i mean the major takeaway for me is that we i want to be part of a work world i want to be part of a community i want to be part of a culture that is so intergenerational in the decisions that we are making that it is built for everyone i've been thinking a lot about like everyone is welcome here versus this place was built for you in mind or with you in mind you know, and I think that that's often what I'm hearing from our generation is that it isn't good enough to say that everyone is welcome here. It's better and more important to say that I thought of you while I was building this. That's why it's here, you know, and I think we can only do that if we're all in it, if we're all here. <sighs> like many May ramblings, we've um, started down the walk of this like very heady conversation. Thanks for going there with me. But here's one of my next questions is when you well, hear the word, oh, go ahead. If I may just interject and take the reins here for a second. It's a little bit heady on one hand. And at the same time, it's it's really practical. Um, <laughs> it's true. Like, how can you build? And I think for, for employers, it's a really important question of what very small changes. I mean, it took two minutes to acknowledge this baby. Mm-hmm. And it changed. Everyone was brought to tears. And it made everyone more open and willing to be there. And it wasn't the work context. But at the same time, it, it didn't take long. And it was simple. And that's what that man, that facilitator, when he did that, I saw that as true leadership. Mm-hmm. He was really thinking, like, what is everyone going to need here in order to be present and to bring themselves to these stories I'm going to share? Those stories mattered so much to him. He was willing to set aside a few minutes to make sure that everyone there, including the baby and her mother, were going to be able to show up fully and be present. And it doesn't take long, and it's, it's relatively simple. So, um, I'm so glad you interjected. Good work. So what does the word career mean to both of you? Feel free to word salad. Well, I've been thinking about this a bit lately, too. I went to a wedding recently, and my friend who was getting married used the word devotion several times. And I, I really admire this friend. I, I admire the ways that he shows up in the world. And it just kind of took me by surprise, this word devotion. You know, I grew up in a very secular household, in a secular world. Uh, and devotion, devotees, that kind of has a, ne- a negative thing. But I think this idea of devotion of like, what what is the work that I can really submit to, that I can just give myself over to and lean into fully and embrace the difficulties that are going to come up throughout that. I think for me, that's like the ideal of a career. It's like something that that I that I feel good devoting myself to. Okay, that, no, that's actually different from career. I think career was <laughs> like career for me is the story that I make up amongst all the disparate things that I'm going to do in my life that knit them all together. Yeah. 
career is like the common thread. It's like I'm going to do all these different things in my life. And like my career is the ways that I get in between them. So what's your career right now? Right now, my career is like somewhere between marketing and business development. Your tree stop is a little interesting on that career front, but I'm with you. <laughs> tree stop? I mean, oh, there's yeah. much marketing with 400,000 trees, but I'm here for it. Yeah, well, so that's kind of why I stopped doing that job because I didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't see that in the story of my life that it was going to really contribute in a meaningful way beyond. Yeah, I didn't see that it was going to contribute to my to a career. Huh, it worked for a few years because I needed money, and it was a great way to trade my energy for money as a young man. Well, yeah, and I I put I I push back against this notion that a career is something that only has to go in a straight line. You know, it's just not going to work that way. You know, like mm-hmm. I, the tree planting has a line in there somewhere besides the money. I think it's there. Keep thinking. I will come back to you. Jess, what does career mean to you? Um, career means to me like a balance between being able to show up to something that fills up your cup, but also being able to step away and, and give attention to your personal life, whether it's your family or doing a hobby you love. A lot of people go to school and jump into a job and and are obsessive about it. And I mean, you definitely have to have, as Cameron was talking about, devotion to it. But you you still have to find a balance, I feel like, to be happy. And what's a career if you're grinding on something so hard that you're not happy in your outside world. So to me, career is having something that you feel fulfilled doing, even if some days you don't like it or you have a hard time, but then also being able to step away and enjoy your actual life too. Hmm. I love that. I also love your actual life. (laughs) (laughs) This is our not actual life, y'all. I think for me, career is the thing is my legacy, not in a way of like my work is my thing, but in a way of the thing that I worked really hard to do. You know, I'm not I'm not sold into doing overworking at all by any means. Um, Four day work week is the jam. But I I am interested in showing specifically my daughter what it looks like to build maternal wealth. Um, And I don't mean wealth in like piles of gold coins. I mean, in like your mom makes the money. You know, and um, if that's if that's my career, is that my daughter sees that I made I was the breadwinner. That's enough. That's the through line for me. So I think it's yeah. Heck yeah, you're changing the tone. Usually, it's usually the man makes the money, and you're showing her that you're strong and that you're taking care of your family, and that she can do the same thing. It doesn't have to be a societal norm, not norm, but like that's what people think of is. Oh, the woman stays home with the kid and the man works, but you're showing her no. You can you can be the one that goes and has a career and you can be the one that's strong and takes care of your family. It does you don't have to be taken care of by anybody. You can take care of yourself. Just church right there. Yeah, and and vice versa, you know, that her dad is very tender and will choose to snuggle at any moment, right? It's like I don't I don't know, I see it as a strong or weak moment ever, but that no. it's like tenure family rewrite the pattern a little of the larger societal message it's really interesting especially when it comes to career absolutely okay here is the second to last question describe one of the best leaders that you have ever come into orbit and what made them a great leader not all of our answers can be mo think farther (laughs) well for when you're listening we do think you're a great leader i've been fortunate to be involved with an organization called the mankind project 
which is an international nonprofit committed to sort of, well, they say simply creating better men uh, through various different trainings and development programs and so on. Leadership development is a huge part of what they do. Uh, and there's some really cool, there's some amazing leaders. So I've, I've gotten to encounter some amazing leaders in that world. And what's so amazing about some of these leaders is that they, on some of the weekend trainings, there's very clear hierarchies. I think oftentimes, sometimes work in modern work, we try to flatten hierarchies or have non-hierarchical work, but the hierarchies are so valuable because the highest level leaders need to be able to think about, like, is what we're doing serving our mission? They need to be able to answer these high questions and they can't be running around, you know, delivering water bottles to different people at this training event. That's the job for someone else. And there's people in between too that need to manage different um, pieces of the training. And so I, what I love too about the Mankind Project is it's all just lay people, you know, and, and some one guy's an elevator mechanic and other, some other guy's a, a stock trader. And it's all people of all the various walks of life and they come together to do this thing and then coordinate these efforts that require really clear roles, um, really reputable, you know, standard operating procedures. And so I, I really value some of the leadership that I get from there in terms of the clarity, the balance between doing things one way and being clear that the way that we're doing things is supporting what we're trying to do here on the big picture and mm. sort of managing that of like, mm. we're trying to do this important, amazing thing and we've got to do it, which means people need to be very clear about what they're doing when. I could ramble more, but. That's super interesting. I love your stories about the Mankind Project. It's like a made up world. I want, I always want to hear more about it or go, but I can, cannot. So you've got to keep telling those stories. Jess, who's one of the best leaders you've ever encountered? Oh, gosh, this one was hard for me. In a work instance, if I can't use Mo, then nobody. <laughs> um, you could use Mo. Probably, probably my mom. She, again, made it look easy and did what she had to do to take care of her family and kept her naysaying aside and just tried to do whatever she could to make sure everyone was happy and... And then also, yeah, I don't know. She just did a great job showing me how to walk life and how to how to take care of myself and my family. And so I guess my mom would be a good form of leadership. I, mm. yeah, in the work world, what though, I'm answer. not sure if I have anyone that's leadership worthy besides Mo. And I'm not saying that to get brownie points at all. I love that she... <laughs> I love that she's real and that she owns her humanness and that she cares about me and my family. And like today, she, I, as I messaged you this morning telling oh, no. you I was having a hard time because the baby didn't sleep well. And out of nowhere, Mo texts, she's really grateful for me and that I'm doing a good job. And it's so nice being able to be on vacation and not have to worry about anything and that the three of us have have it and and that she loves us and I was like oh like what a moment for her to say that when I'm feeling like my brain is melting onto the floor <laughs> so yeah mm, I love that yeah Mo is a damn good leader and someday I will do a solo podcast where I just like gush completely about it one of the best leaders that I have ever encountered a strength coach that I had well between the ages of 12 and now like yeah, he owns a gym in my hometown. His name is Steve Bechtel. He, he has a tumultuous story inside of our hometown. Our hometown is very small, 6,000 people, 7,000 people. And um, 
If you have a tumultuous history with a small town, you know, it can be really hard to be a leader in those places. And I've watched Steve rumble with an entire city in order to become a piece of that town that is a major contributor to that town. Um, And what I've learned from watching him do that is the steadiness that it takes to gain trust and that the steadier, calmer that you can be inside of rocky water, the better, the more trustworthy, you know, like he's always been very honest or as honest as he can be. And I think that and it has made me trust his leadership that if he told me that it was time to get out of the boat, I would get out of the boat. Yeah. Like, and when he tells me everything's going to be okay, I trust him. You know, and I think that's a marker of a good leader is that in those moments of major decision-making, you trust them to tell you exactly what needs to be done and that you're going to do it, which I hear from both of you and both the leaders you're describing right now too. It's interesting. It's really It's a very hard skill I'm learning as a parent of a two-year-old having a lot of emotions, everybody. Very difficult. I'd like to piggyback on that. And this might be a good wrap up because it kind of knits together a few threads we've talked about. But I appreciate how clear you were about the traits that that you looked up to in this leader, in Steve. Um, And so for me, if I could generalize, the best times when when I've been like, wow, that's good leadership are the times when leaders take a minute to like go vulnerable. Mm-hmm. and say like and really show like oh my, i'm really scared i don't know how we're gonna do this um but i know i know that we can if we come together and so it's this uh, that's part of what keeps me coming back to this work which is why this sort of knits together some of our threads that we do here at momentum is because i think that that need to be vulnerable to take our fears and our anxieties and our what what the dominant culture might like to call our weaknesses and to carry those with us into doing meaningful work because without those things, there's no guiding compass. There's no light that shows us what's important or what's meaningful. Um, best leaders for me are the ones who can who can go there, hold that stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. And to pull in the other about the climate change stuff, there's a lot of scary <laughs> stuff going on in the world right now. And I think there's some commentary about our generations also in this quiet quitting situation we got going on here. I just want to kibosh that real quick. That I think that it, with steady, honest, vulnerable leadership, you don't end up with quiet quitting. You don't end up with people wondering why the heck they're here. And I'm speaking as an employee on that front. Like if I, if, if we weren't clear, if it wasn't steady, and if she wasn't vulnerable, I don't know that I would be able to trust Mo while we surf rocky water, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like, this is for real rocky water. <laughs> yeah. Like this is not made up rocky water out here. It's for real. Yeah. Okay, here's my last question, and we're done. Thanks for hanging in there for a little bit overtime. What are you reading right now? Anything or taking in? What are you listening to that's making a difference? What are you reading? What are you intaking? What are you watching? One of those things. Well, I'm a bit embarrassed here because I have already confessed I studied literature, and I like to be the guy that has good novel recommendations. I love reading fiction. <laughs> but lately, I've been every night before bed, and even in the mornings, I'm just obsessed with this book written in the 90s by someone called David Allen called Getting Things Done. What? Um, I know. It's totally weird, but it's... it's <laughs> I'll just share a bit about why I read this book because I put off reading this book for a long time because I was like, this guy's all about like productivity for the sake of productivity. I don't want any of that garbage. And then I saw him in an interview and he had this really holistic and, and spirited ap- approach to like managing all the many things you've got to do in your life to live a good life and of making yourself have less anxiety so you can do better things i've been struggling with anxiety and this book's really helped so that's what i've been reading oh my gosh that was a surprising answer okay jess i am sorry that i'm saying this right now but 
I started <laughs> our next book and <gasps> you know what it is. I had to text you like, when are we starting our next book? Um, <laughs> Jess and I are in a two person book club. It's Jess and me. <laughs> <laughs> Jess started um, our book. Okay, go ahead. And it's called Good Inside uh, by Dr. Becky Kennedy. And it, I'm I'm only like 25 pages in, but it's so good. And I'm so excited for us to read it. I'll slow it down. I don't know if my brain has the capacity to read tonight, so maybe you can catch up. But you listen, right? So you'll catch up. Um, It'll be fine. It'll be fine. We don't have any rules in our book club, so it's fine. Except for our one rule that we just made up, what, yesterday or the day before? If it's okay. triggering, we can drop it at any time. Um yeah. um but I love it because it's about it's about parent modern day parenting and then also reparenting yourself and and I just love that it asks so many questions and gives so many insights to why parenting aside why we behave the way we do and where it comes from and and how to reparent yourself and and to grow out of that habitual way and yeah it's really good. I'm excited for you to start it. I love that. I am, well, you can go ahead and read all you want, but I'm in the midst of reading another book called All That Moves Us. And it's by a, it's about a neonatal neurosurgeon. Yeah. Yep. And the reason I'm li- I'm listening to it is that I, some de- somewhere down deep, I really thought that maybe I was going to be a doctor or a neurosurgeon. And then I like got out and figured out what my brain was. And I was like, no, that isn't going to work. But I still kind of love it so much. But another reason is because I just listened to an interview of his where he's talking about how just wounds in children that he is treating right now are much different than they used to be when he first started. And now they have a lot more to do with um, gunshot wounds. And so he just wants that to be out there in the world, that it's real and that kids are encountering guns much more often than they than they were. Um, so far, it's quite interesting and just reaffirms for me that I am not going to be a neurosurgeon. But y'all, this has been great. Thank you for bouncing around in this conversation with me. Um, and I hope we do it again. Thank you yeah. for coming. Thanks for asking great questions. Less scary. Oh, good. I'm glad it wasn't scary. Cam, what did you say? I said, thank you for asking such wonderful questions. It's what I do. It's what I do. All right, y'all. Bye. See you soon. Bye.